Welcome to the Leanne McCoy podcast. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, if that even is a thing or should be. This is a place where I contemplate things that are far too wonderful for me, where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine or people who have some really great things to say, and where I remind you and me that no matter what we're going through, God's got this. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. This month, we've been podcasting our way through the Advent. I'm happy to report that the McCoy home has three of our five candles with burnt wicks, and our first purple candle that represented hope is about half the size it was before we started. I think it's the first time we've actually done the thing. We began with hope, then discussed peace. This past Monday night, we gathered around joy after a family debate that almost cost us our success. (laughs) And on Sunday evening, we will discuss love. Then on Christmas morning, I'm gonna move the wreath to the family room. And before we rip into the packages, we're gonna light our final white candle, the one that sits tall in the middle, and we will focus on Christ. My hope is that this experience will make a lasting impression on my children and grandchildren, and that they will carry the newfound tradition on into their own homes all the way till Jesus returns, and he just might be coming soon. In this episode, I'm going to share thoughts related to love and to Christ, the last purple candle and then the white Christ candle, one to be lit on Christmas Eve and the other on Christmas Day. We'll gather together on Christmas Eve and we'll eat prime rib, potatoes and salad, or a smoked pork roast on Hawaiian rolls. One will be for Christmas Eve and the other for Christmas Day. I'm going to take a vote and go with the majority. We're kind of like that. We don't have to cling so tightly to traditions that they that we become slaves to them. We let the traditions adjust to us. Either meal will be delicious, and I'm thinking and hoping there won't be any tears related to the food. <laughs> we ate breakfast for dinner last week, and I actually made biscuits that were delicious. Two ingredients, self-rising flour and heavy whipping cream. Who knew? My mom did. She shared the recipe with me and assured me that I could do it, and I did, much to my surprise. (laughs) I had success that night, not only in the spiritual realm, but also in the culinary one. So here we are, closing out our Advent series. Week one was hope, the purple candle. Week two, peace, another purple candle. Week three, joy, the pink candle. And then Christmas Eve, we'll light the final purple candle, hope, I mean, uh, love. And then on Christmas Day, the white candle, Christ. The music resounds. The season has exploded with lights, concerts, parties, tinsel garland, special foods and drinks, time with friends, visits with family members we've not seen since last Christmas, all to celebrate this baby. This baby born in a barn and laid in a manger. This baby whose mother was a virgin. This baby who lived a sinless life. Can you imagine? What must Joseph and Mary thought when he was two, three, ten? I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to be his brother or sister. Sinless just as pure and holy as his heavenly father, yet with two feet, two hands, a mouth, eyes, ears, hair, and all the rest of a human body. His father was God, his mother a virgin woman. He was fully human and fully divine, bridging the gap between heaven and earth. 
The angels heralded his arrival and declared his resurrection. He personifies love. Love came down at Christmas. If you listen to my podcast often, you know that I discuss deconstruction of faith and new age thought because so many people are leaving the church in pursuit of what they're calling unconditional love. Many are strongly opposed to religion because their experience of their organized spiritual practice, i.e. the church, was the opposite of love. It was judgment and rejection, criticism and never measuring up. Lots of legalism and building of walls, which are all expressions of not love. So instead of participating in the traditional practice of their faith or religion, they're serving, pursuing, and practicing what they call love. And it would be more than just the capital L. It would be the capital L-O-V-E. It's ironic to me that they are leaving the church for love when those of us who make up the church are building the church for the same reason. We're worshiping a God who defines love and seeking to serve him by expressing that love to others. One of the first verses I memorized was this one. God is love. It's 1 John 4, 16. If God is love, then he defines love. And that's certainly what he does in his word. From in the beginning to forever and ever, amen. We read a love story between God and his creation. He created us in his image to be in a relationship with him, to enjoy everything else he created, and to exercise dominion over it. <clears throat> Excuse me. God created us for relationship with each other and with him. Relationships that are unhindered by greed and selfishness, jealousy, insecurity, shame, strife, all the things. <laughs> As an expression of his love, God granted mankind freedom to choose whether or not we would live in relationship with him, and the first humans chose to break ties with God and instead go their own way. God knew we'd do that, so he already had a plan in place to redeem us. In order to maintain his perfection and settle the debt we owed for going our own way instead of his, God sent his one and only son, his very best, a third part of his Trinitarian nature, split from the other two parts in order to fill the gap between his creation and himself. Jesus, the creator, became the created. He was born in the same humble and helpless way all babies are born. Can you imagine? How God limited himself by clothing himself in the human experience, all to draw us back to himself. Jesus, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. I would have loved to have walked on earth when Jesus walked here. I would have loved to have sat with him and, and chatted with him, to be able to touch him and experience a hug with him, wouldn't you? I don't get to be in his physical presence, but I do get to experience him through his teachings and the stories I read about him. And I get to know his mind and his heart by reading what he inspired others to record and to write and then to pass down through generations to me. Not only that, but I get to experience him in that supernatural way because of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling that he comes and does in me when I'm yielded to him. There's an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 that's devoted to defining love. I'm not sure this is the definition New Agers are promoting. Love defined by them seems to be more about feeling good and finding their fulfillment within themselves and not in God. From what I can figure, they consider love unconditional acceptance of themselves and others. Love is expressed in appreciation for the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
because they all contribute to the experience of growth. One of the coolest things about their understanding of love is validation for a variety of viewpoints, but only as long as they aren't exclusive. And that seems to be their beef with Christianity. We say there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. As Christians, our definition of love was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And our written script for love is spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. The way God defines love seems to be a whole lot more like work than it is, <clears throat> excuse me, a feeling. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. My friends, love is work. It is hard work. Being patient and kind when I've been mistreated is hard. When my life's fallen apart and someone else's is seemingly going well, I have to work not to envy them. I met a pastor the other day who shared that he moved here because his children and grandchildren were here, all within five minutes of him. Even as I say this, I'm choking back envy. Not boasting and not being proud. Goodness, this year, I've prepared to kiss 35 years of leadership at our church goodbye, and I've watched them carry on without me and not miss me even a little bit. I didn't even know I had boasting and pride in me until I experienced the phenomenon of insignificance. <laughs> then the whole love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. None of this is easy because all of this goes against my flesh. And yet love wrapped himself in flesh and showed up on earth in a manger. He told us things no one had said before and showed us things we'd never seen before. He walked on water and fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He healed the blind, gave hearing to the deaf, straightened the crooked, and quieted the tormented. Then he died a cruel and painful death in a season of life on earth when the depravity of sin caused men who had power to do such things. All because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3, 16. 
So what ought we do in response to God's beautiful, extravagant expression of his love for us? I want to close out my Advent series by reading two devotions nestled in my little book titled, Meet Me at the Manger and I'll Lead You to the Cross. It's a collection of a hundred daily devotions that take you from Christmas to Easter. And in these two that I want to read to you right now, I share a little bit about the little drummer boy. I began with this verse out of Luke 2:16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And I wrote, one of my favorite Christmas songs is the little drummer boy. The words and music to the Christmas song, Little Drummer Boy, was composed by Catherine Davis, Henry Onorati, and Harry Simeon in 1958. Can you imagine? The world was void of the little drummer boy prior to 1958. <laughs> little Drummer Boy has been a huge hit for several artists. The most notable rendition was created by the most unlikely combination of Bing Crosby and David Bowie. How crazy is that? This version of Little Drummer Boy was a massive hit for the artist and was, in fact, Bing Crosby's most successful recording since the legendary White Christmas. The song is about a little shepherd boy who doesn't want to go see the baby Jesus without a gift. Finally, he decides that he can give the baby a song and he plays his little drum. Come, they told me, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. A newborn king to see, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. <laughs> Our finest gifts we bring, pa rum pa pum pum to lay before the king, pa rum pa pum pum rum pa pum pum rum pa pum pum Goes on, so to honor him, pa rum pa pum pum when we come. Little baby, pa rum pa pum pum I am a poor boy too, pa rum pa pum pum I have no gift to bring, pa rum pa pum pum that's fit to give the king pa rum pa pum pum rum pa pum pum rum pa pum pum Shall I play for you pa rum pa pum pum on my drum? Mary nodded pa rum pa pum pum The ox and lamb kept time pa rum pa pum pum I played my drum for him pa rum pa pum pum I played my best for him, pa rum pa pum pum, rum pa pum pum, rum pa pum pum. Then he smiled at me, pa rum pa pum pum, me and my drum. <laughs> Besides having an easy melody and plenty of pa rum pa pum pums, I love the story. Can't you see that little boy carefully playing his little drum for the tiny baby? And then I did another devotional entry that revisited the little drummer boy, and it was titled, I'll Play My Drum for Him. And I used the verse again, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The little drummer boy was on to something when he played that drum. He offered his gifts and his talents, his time and his energy. He expressed his adoration and his love by beating on his drum. What has God given you that you can play for him? Now, what follows in this is what I wrote back in, let me see what year this was published, um, 2010. So my children were 
teenagers in 2010. And this is what I wrote. Part of my role as a mother is to help my children identify their unique package of gifts, talents, interests, and personality. Michael has compassion, love for children, a competitive spirit, and tenacity. Haley has a heart for the poor. She's a terrific problem solver and is almost fluent in Spanish. TJ is fair, generous, and has never met someone who couldn't be his friend. Tom is a great leader, a gifted speaker, competitive, and full of perseverance. Me? I'm a writer. I love to teach, and I'm sentimental almost to a fault. Why do I share this with you? Not because I want to brag on my family members, but rather to help you understand the connection that exists between our lives, our personalities, and the good work God prepared in advance for us to do. All of these talents and characteristics are indicators of what God had in mind when he created us. They're, hint, they're God's hints to help us discover the good work. At this point in time, my children are still working out the details of God's plan for their lives. But Michael plans to pursue a degree in elementary education. That didn't ever happen. Kaylee plans to be a doctor. That didn't ever happen. And TJ, TJ wants to have as many friends as possible as he continues to navigate his way through high school. <laughs> that did happen. My husband, Tom, is a pastor and I'm a writer and speaker. We've already prayed through God's plans for our lives and are living them out. In the holiday season, when we want to wrap our love in a box and tie it with a bow, God is asking you to give him something much more valuable than that. He gave his best for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What can you give to him? Our finest gifts we bring, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. To lay before the king, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Rum-pa-pum-pum, rum-pa-pum-pum. So to honor him, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. When we come. Thank you for spending Christmas with me this year. You'll find the Advent, Advent devotions on my leannemccoy.com website. There's one for Christmas Eve and one for Christmas Day. Like I said before, we're going to move our Advent wreath to the middle of the living room where we'll light all the candles and reflect on the best gift of all before we unwrap the gifts that are under the tree. I hope that you and your family have had a wonderful season and that you are enjoying a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We've got some exciting news coming in the new year. I can't wait to share it with you. But for now, take a few minutes to be still and know that He is God. Breathe in His goodness and let His Spirit fill you with love.